Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Durhaj. everyone. Uh, it's Roxanne Durhodge. Today I have a special guest. I met her just recently, but I've known about her for a while. And I, what did we come up the other day with Dr. Happy? Is that what they're calling you? Yeah. Jillian uh, uh, Mandich. So she, Jillian uh, is a happiness expert, which I don't know, you must have people following you around when they find out what you're doing, because that's what everybody, you know, in my practice or when you're speaking, everybody wants to be happy and feel fulfilled. So let me just tell you a little bit about Jillian and uh, we'll jump right in. Uh, Jillian has her PhD in health sciences from uh, the University of London. Um, she regularly appears on um, TV in Toronto uh, as a happiness expert where she's on the social breakfast television. Um, she's also uh, been involved with the Richard Ivey School of Business and she's done a TEDx talk in Toronto. Uh, she, the topic of the talk was the surprising truth of happiness, which I know, like I said, and she, you're on QVC and the health shopping network in the US. Um, so thanks Jillian for taking the time to come on today. Oh, thank you so much for, for having me. I'm really happy to be here with you today. So Jillian and I have a friend in common and we, you know, we just recently met at an event, uh, I think about a week ago and recognized that really, you know, she talks about happiness and obviously I'm taught as a mental health and wellness specialist, I'm always, you know, wanting to talk to people. People are always wanting to talk about happiness, talk about connection. When people talk um, to me, either consulting to one-to-one or in companies, they want to figure out, how is it that I get, you know, you have the word peace of mind, right? And I, again, if you have peace of mind, you're going to obviously involved in that is happiness. So Jillian, tell me, you ended up with happiness. Did you, when you were in grade school, did you say, I want to grow up one day and teach people how to be happy? <laughs> no, you know, I, I always, looking back, like I'm in exactly, I know that I'm doing exactly what I was meant to be doing. And yet all through school, I wanted to be a medical doctor. So, oh, okay. um, so I did my undergraduate degree at Western University in health science. And then the original plan was to go to med school after that. And I ended up deciding that my heart wasn't really in it. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I went and worked for a year at the public health unit in London, Ontario, doing research. And when I was there, I realized that I do love health. That's probably why I wanted to go to med school. And what I love even more is research. So if I combine those two and do health research, then, then I'm really doing something I enjoy. So I actually went back to school, did a master's degree in child and youth health, uh, where I was looking at physical activities, sedentary behaviors, nutrition, information, um, health information for children that were overweight or obese. And then I went into my PhD and partway through, I started realizing um, that our health is about so much more than just a number on a scale. You know, we, you can be overweight or obese and be healthy, and you cannot be overweight or obese and be unhealthy. And so I wanted to have 
to study something that was more encompassing, first of all, that included more people, because we all want to be, we all want to be happy, right? And so, um, and not all of us necessarily struggle with our weight, and yet we all can live the best life possible. So I ended up switching topics partway through my PhD, because what I realized when I started uh, digging into the research was that when you're happy, you're often healthier. When you compare unhappy people to happy people, happy people live longer. They have lower rates of cardiovascular disease. They uh, recover faster from injury. They tend to make better nutritional choices. They get better quality sleep. And so I realized that my passion for health can be looked at through the lens of happiness. And it's encompassing because we all, we all, if you pay attention to what drives our behaviors, oftentimes it's our desire to be happy. And so I switched gears and then last, uh, at the end of last year, I just uh, defended my PhD in health science at Western University. And so now I'm done and I research happiness and I'm a, I'm a doctor of happiness. How fun is that? <laughs> That's fun. I'm sure. Like, I mean, so, okay, let's talk a little bit about that, right? Because <clears throat> every person you talk to will define happiness differently. Would you agree with me? Yes. So what is it that when people talk to you or when you've kind of, you know, had subjects, how do they define, if you could kind of give me a, like an overall concept of happiness? Yeah, this is kind of, as a researcher, this is a very complicated answer because it, happiness is a feeling. It's like love. And it can be really hard <clears throat> to put our feeling into words. Oftentimes, our language falls short of being able to, to captivate those type of feelings. And yet, when you research something, you have to define all your terms of what you're studying. So I do the best that I can. And so the way um, I define happiness in my work, I use a definition that's commonly cited with a lot of different researchers and it actually comes from Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky out in California. And she defines happiness as the experience of joy, contentment, and positive well-being combined with the sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. So I kind of like that definition. Jillian, Say that again, because I think that's really, really important. Say that again. Yes. So it's happiness is the experience of joy, contentment, and positive well-being combined with a sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. Wow. So that definition, it really hits on a lot of different levels <clears throat> of, of happiness, right? Because we can be happy and feel joy. And sometimes when we're really content our expression of happiness is different and yet we still feel happy or when we feel peaceful. And, and I think the other piece that is really significant is the combined with a sense that one's life is good, meaningful and worthwhile. So recognizing that we all, and we do, we all have our unique purpose here to do whatever it is that we were, um, we we're meant to do. And so when we feel that we have that peace where we feel like our life matters, where we matter, that's really an essential component into the, the happiness definition as well. So important, right? Because, you know, um, so many today, and if you think about it, with um, issues around mental well-being, depression and anxiety, billions and billions of dollars are being lost in that, you know, even into schools, like, you know, I know you speak a lot of schools, I speak a lot of schools and universities, or even have been, done some consulting, um, our younger generation in that, you know, they're, they're struggling, they're struggling with so many things. Why, why is it, did you think that particular part of the population struggles as much as they do, Jillian? Yeah, uh, you know, and 
So I taught at Western University in the Faculty of Health Science for four years. And throughout that time, even with the students in my classes, so they were health science, undergraduate health science students, I saw such an increase even in that four years uh, in terms of the, the different challenges, the number of students that were challenged, challenged by mental health um, different struggles. And that's not exclusive to universities. We're seeing increases in, in elementary school, in high schools, and it really is, it's a multifactorial equation because the stress of social media definitely plays a very big role in that because if you look in terms of the research of how social media can impact the mental health of students, especially when they aren't taught how to successfully and effectively navigate social media. And so then they go and they go on and they look at the likes or the filters or whatever's going on on social media. And it really can create a distorted perception of reality even because when we look on social media, these bright, shiny, polished moments that we see, that's, that's the front of someone's house. That's the front stage. What we're not seeing is the backstage, the behind the scene. Mm -hmm. And so especially for, for young people and, and for anyone really, when you start to do, have that comparison, it starts to affect your mental health because it, it can impact your confidence. It can mm -hmm. impact your self-esteem. It can impact your thinking. And so it really can, you can start to go down this rabbit hole of, of that. And it can be very detrimental for, for mental health. And the thing is though, it's, it's kind of interesting because we're never actually taught and students these days, very rarely are they taught how to effectively use social media. And also, we're actually never really taught how to be happy either. Mm -hmm. Like if you think about it, when you're in school, right? You learn math, you learn science, you learn chemistry and geography. And yet nobody ever teaches us the one thing that we all want. We all want to be happy and then we're not happy. And we take a step back and if you think about it, why aren't you happy? Well, oftentimes it's because we were never even taught how to be happy. And I find mm -hmm. a lot of times, even with myself, when I started researching happiness, and what I see in a lot of my research participants is that if I ask what makes you happy, people often have a difficult time answering that question. I mean, if you think about it right now, right? Like what makes you happy? And, and you really have to kind of rack your brain and think about it oftentimes because we tend to not think about that or ask that question. And so then when we think, well, why aren't I happy? Well, do we even know what that is? Are we even moving towards a target that we know what it looks like, right? And I see, I often look at, you know, I have, a, I have an 18 year old and uh, yeah, I look at little children, right? And, and you look at them and they are, you know, talk about, you know, what is their meaning and purpose when they're a little one? To play, <laughs> you know, to, you know, um, have fun, to giggle, to laugh. And they're, they're, they're completely in the moment. And then you could kind of see the shift out of where things they developmentally, they start to shift up because they start to, oh, Johnny does this. Johnny plays hockey better than me. Or, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, you, you know, his mom and dad, you know, live together. We live apart and all those. And they, you're so right. Even with the, the social media, there's, there's that comparison that starts. Right. And then and then if, like you said, if you don't have that ability to kind of ground yourself with the right people around you to say, well, that's OK, you know you're better at this or have you thought about this or you're sad? Why don't you kind of spend some time? It's okay to be sad once in a while. We all are. It'll pass. It's a feeling, but you're right. It's that gentle kind of um, touch point throughout that assists people to really kind of sit in their space to realize 
you know, actually, it's, it's pretty good. I had a bad thought, but it's gone. Um, so it's, it's interesting that you, when you say who teaches us to be happy. So mm-hmm. what, what does the research show about people that actually find out uh, uh, that know more about happiness versus, I, I can tell you from, you know, the mental health and wellness perspective, but what does the research say? Say in terms of? What people, um, when they define happiness, what helped them find their happiness? So interestingly, the research um, shows that happiness is a practice. It's not a destination. So okay. happiness isn't something that you find. It's something that you do. Okay. So uh, happiness is a skill. A lot of it is a learned behavior. So in terms, well, let me take a step back. So if you look at our total capacity for happiness, um, research done with twin studies, so with twins that were genetically identical, separated at birth, Mm-hmm. found that about 50% of our total capacity for happiness is genetically determined. Mm-hmm. So some people are happier and some people are more like Eeyore, right? <laughs> it's kind of that spectrum. Right. And, and that only accounts for about 50%. About 10% of our happiness is uh, impacted by our day-to-day life, our environment, where we work, where we live. And if you're listening, you might be like, did I hear that right? Was it 10%? And yes, I said 10%. Because we're adaptive creatures as humans. And so while we think that, you know, if we're miserable at work or we're not fighting, we're fighting with our partner or our children's going through the terrible twos or whatever's going on, we live our life every single day. And so although we think it impacts us as much, it doesn't because we're, we're adaptive creatures as humans. And the exciting part of this data is that so we have 50% genetic, 10% environment, there's still 40% left. And that 40% is a skill-based learned behavior. That's the component of happiness that each and every one of us have the capacity to increase. So just like you go into the gym and you work your muscles to get stronger, or just like you eat healthy food every single day if you want to be healthy, you can learn skills that are correlated, highly correlated with happiness that boost your happiness and have significant impact in your life. And so as a happiness researcher, my work focuses on that 40% because in terms of behavior change and having a significant, important impact on our life, that's where um, you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. So within that 40%, it's not like one day you arrive at happiness and you're there and you're good. What happens is you start to build that muscle over time. Slowly you start to build your happiness muscle. And then at the end of the day or at the end of your life, I guess you look back and you realize that happiness wasn't an endpoint. It was a means to a life well lived. Well said, well said, right? So it really, it's a practice. Yes. So it's things that you can actually do, which I mean, obviously as a psychotherapist, I, I see, I unfortunately have seen everything within the spectrum, but really you see some people that they're like, you know, they're able to get through pretty, you know, separations or conflict at work and those types of things and really kind of take a hold of it. But there are others that get completely debilitated by it. And then they just, you know, they, they kind of, they, they struggle to kind of get back on their feet. So think properly, mm-hmm. think positively, or, you know, to think that, you know, to think good thoughts or to be able to go out for a nice walk. You were talking about being in Toronto and going, getting outside. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm in Chippewa back onto the golf course. And I've been sitting out there listening to the birds this morning, something that simple or, you know, friendships, you know, just, you know, having a, you know, a nice walk with a friend or, you know, um, you know, 
doing something that's fun for you, reading or music or dancing or all those things are really a compilation of what, you know, defines. And you and I would be very different because we're different people. Um, but it's, it's kind of figuring that out with yourself. So tell me how, what kind of things when you speak, um, how do you tell people to explore happiness if they think that they haven't, quote, unquote, I've not learned how to be happy, Jillian. What, what, what should I do? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this was actually, and I started researching happiness because in addition to the health uh, element that I talked about, for me personally, like, I, we only get one shot at life. And I want to live the best life ever. And I mean, we all do. And so the, I came to happiness also because I personally wanted to figure out how I could be happier and how I can live the happiest life possible. And so in addition to the research and the data, I've been trying a lot of the things that I've been doing in my research these past four years and have really noticed, like, I wish I would have measured my happiness when I started researching happiness and then measured it right now because... <laughs> Like I said, how it's a muscle and it's a skill, it truly does shift over time. And so if someone, and this happens a lot, um, I get asked, you know, okay, well, I'm not as happy as I want to be. What can I do? Mm -hmm. And I think that, well, actually, so probably if I think about it, the number one question I get asked if I tell someone I have a PhD and I research happiness, they'll say, like, what's the magic pill? right? Like, what's that like one thing? What's the right. one thing you need to do or buy or say or get or whatever in order to be happy? And I always say, like, there's no magic pill for happiness. There's really not. At the end of the day, like you're the pharmacist. Each and every one of us has to figure out for ourselves what makes us happy. And I can share research and I can suggest some things that, that has been shown in, in research to impact happiness. And some of them are going to work for you and some of them aren't because we're mm. all different and different people, different sort of approaches or tactics. It's just like, like exercise, right? Like I kind of talked mm. about happiness is like a muscle. Some people, when they exercise, they want to go to CrossFit. Some people want to go to yoga. Some people want to go for a walk in the park. Some people want to do power lifting. There's a lot of different ways to achieve fitness and to be healthy and fit. There's a lot of different tools and different things that we can do to be happy. And the way to figure that out is, is really to, to go within instead of going outside. So instead of looking at and what are these things that are going to make me happy, who's going to tell me, what book do I need to buy for someone to tell me I'm going to be happy? What, what food do I need to eat? What wine do I need to drink? Whatever it is, start to really check in with yourself. And a great practice that I've used and, and I share a lot with a lot of people and get amazing feedback is if you want to be happy, you need to figure out what makes you happy. And if you're not sure what that is, you can start to be like a detective within yourself. So what I suggest is like to get out a piece of paper, just like a blank piece of paper. And then for the entire day, every time you, and then cut, um, draw a line down the paper. So you have two columns. You're going to label one column, things that make me happier. And one column, things that make me less happy. Then as you go through the day and you start to do different activities, when you're done that activity, check in and you say, ask yourself, do I feel more happy or less happy than when I began this? And then put it in the appropriate column. And then at the end of the day, or if, you, if you're a researcher like me and you want to get some good data, try this for like two or three days. Mm. Then look at your sheet and look at your list. And you're going to have things on your list that make you less happy. And you're going to have things on your list that make you more happy. And then the question becomes, now that you're kind of aware of those things that are making you happy that you're doing right now, the question becomes, how can I do more of that? And the things that make me less column, how can I do less? And you might be thinking, yeah, well, I've got laundry 
and email <laughs> cooking on my do less list. There's no way I can't not do those things. Yes, that's true. There are certain things in our life we have to do, and there's still going to be some things on that list that we can do less of, or we can outsource, or we can get help with, or we can delegate, mm-hmm. or we can do less frequently or spend less time on. Because happiness isn't always just about doing things. So we can look at that. It is an element. Like you can look at the happy list and do more. But it also part of the equation <clears throat> is looking at the list of what to eliminate and doing less. Mm-hmm. So that's a great practice. If you're not sure for yourself what makes you happy, because the best way to figure out your happiness is to figure it out for yourself. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I'm a happiness researcher, and I, I can't tell you what for you specifically is going to make you happy. The only one that knows that is you, right? And so that's, that's where it's empowering and exciting because we have this opportunity to, to be a detective within ourselves and to figure those things out. For sure. And, you know, what uh, we talked about social earlier and, you know, what people are, because we're creatures of comparison. Like people can say, oh, I don't compare. Well, okay. If I, if you, <laughs> if you don't compare at all, then we should talk. But, you know, generally it's kind of like, okay, what am I comparing to? Like to your point, you're seeing the front of the house. You see, you know, you're seeing, you know, the happy smiling family. You're not seeing that there was a pull down um, drag out 20 minutes before. You're not seeing how people are using skills to problem solve those types of things. You're not seeing when someone's gone through something significant or whether they've gone through a separation or if they went to a death or if they're have being bullied at school or if they're, you know, if they are in that 50% where they are more predisposed to being down what they have to do right so that so what you're saying is go internally but social media really is external right i'm going to compare externally outside of myself to what i think that person's doing oh there's jillian she's doing xyz i'm at home on a saturday night not doing much something must be wrong with me and those messages that people start to resonate within themselves and then before you know it you know our brain or body are connected what am I telling myself? And then I don't feel so good about myself. And then I maybe don't connect with someone that can maybe I could probably go out and have a good evening, but we're comparing. So it's like a vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so true. And I think anytime you start looking outside of yourself, you're going to get lost because you're not at home. And even in terms of happiness, like some, sometimes like um, when I do a talk, I'll say, you know, something like, eating healthy food makes you, makes you happy because when you eat healthy food, you're healthier and you feel more energized and someone will inevitably, inevitably put up their hand and say, well, pizza makes me happy or chocolate cake makes me happy. (laughs) And so even within happiness, there's a difference between that sort of in the moment, moment, hedonic, um, superficial layer of happiness versus you can kind of go deeper into that joy, contentment, positive well-being satisfaction like that sort of element of happiness so sometimes in the moment something may make you happy and in the long term overall it actually does and or it doesn't make you as happy as other things have the capacity to do right so it's interesting even in terms of happiness um how for example if you get a brand new car right the first day you get your car you're so happy you love your car you're driving it around everything's great and a week later or a month later, it's not like you're getting your car every morning and they're like so happy and like loving your brand new car the same way because we adapt. And so those things that bring us happiness in the moment, those more materialistic or material things, pardon me, uh, tend to not last. And so when we can start looking to meaning and things like that in terms of what makes us happy and our impact, 
that's where you can get that deep, meaningful uh, happiness that really has the most benefits um, for us from, from a health, from a physical health and from a mental health perspective. For sure, because of course, if, if physically you're doing certain things, that's going to impact your mental. And if you're doing some, certain things mentally, that's going to affect your physical, but it's, it's, it's a continuum. I often say it's like that figure eight, right? You're, you're trying to figure it out. And if you're predisposed, let's say you're predisposed to say a bit of anxiety or depression, that's more biological versus situational, it, you know, kind of, okay, well, I have to accept that. Like, you know, well, it's kind of like if I was diabetic, like I often say to people, you're going to take your insulin, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's things you might be able to have to do to boost yourself a little bit more. If you're a little bit hyper or if you're a little bit depressed, you might have to work that a little bit extra, say, compared to somebody that doesn't have that 50% biological, like you're saying. Um, yeah. And then sometimes it's acceptance of that, which is sometimes difficult. But what you're what we're seeing today is more, would you say that uh, a lot of the... Um, the issues of depression and anxiety, is it a combination of biological and psychological um, or situational, I should say, biological and situational? Is it a combination? What do you think? Yeah, you know, it definitely is is a combination and, and everybody's different. So I always say, though, it's really important to know that when I talked about that 40%, that skill-based learned behavior, mm-hmm. if you don't have the building blocks in place to build the house, you're not going to have a house. Mm-hmm. So structurally in your body, if your body can't produce serotonin or dopamine or some of these hormones that contribute to happiness, no amount of say, like practicing gratitude every day is going to get you there. So there's, there's a time and a place for consulting with your doctor for medical intervention. Absolutely. And also a lot of our happiness too, when we look at it as a skill-based learned behavior, it comes up to us. And oftentimes we just aren't taught. Like I said, we're not taught how to be happy. And oftentimes we don't have the coping mechanisms to deal with the difficult things in our life. And so they start to impact our life. And so as we sort of build our happiness muscle or we strengthen that, we get stronger. And when we're stronger, we're able to cope more resiliently. We have more tools in our tool belt. So when difficult things happen, we're able to adapt. Mm -hmm. So for example, with happiness, I always say like, actually, this is one of the things I was so like, when I first started researching happiness, I thought the goal in life was like, be happy and don't be sad. I really did. And I wanted to learn happiness because I wanted to figure out how to be happy. And I didn't want to be sad. I wanted to get rid of sadness and have all happiness. Mm -hmm. And what I was surprised to learn is that happiness and sadness aren't two ends of the same continuum. They're two separate constructs. So you can be more happy and less happy and more sad and less sad. They're Mm -hmm. separate. And the goal in life is not to eliminate sadness. It's to be able to have those tools and the coping mechanisms so that when we feel sad, Mm -hmm. we feel sad. We feel it fully. We don't bottle it up. We don't push it down. We, we, we feel the emotion fully and then we choose again so that Mm -hmm. we're not marinating in that sadness for, for weeks or for months, because we're, we're all going to have like part of being human is having difficult things happen and having stressful things happen and having sad things happen. And it's not a question of getting rid of those things that happen. It's a question of how do we respond to those things? And so that's where happiness can really come in and can really be this sort of amazing tool that we have that can help us to cope when those things happen. So that I always say, it's like, we want this uptrend so that your lows get higher and your highs get higher. Because as you build that muscle and you get stronger, you're able to take your lows and you're able to make them not so low. And you're able to take your highs and make them even better. 
And that's kind of the goal is that uptrend. It's not eliminating some of those feelings of sadness or depression or anxiety, because really all of those emotions, like that spectrum of human emotion is what makes us human. I don't think like, I mean, even in your life, like if you think back to some of the difficult or the sad or the frustrating times that you went through at the end of it, you come out stronger and you show yourself what you're capable of and you teach yourself to be resilient. And so like, wouldn't you agree that those things, they really help to strengthen us when we are able to, to deal with them in a way where we have the capacity to, to sort of do it um, in a way where we are able to learn and grow from them. For sure. And when I, I coach or I see people, I still have a practice, I will say to them, you know, they'll come in and they're down and something's wrong or whatever. And I, I go to something called an exception. I'm sure you probably heard that. They, you know, because what do we do as human beings? We focus in on what's wrong. Mm-hmm. But we don't lift your head to say, I go, okay, well, tell me about what, what are you proud of? Well, you know, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I have this skill, I've done this, I run this business, I, you know, I, I, I coach, I this. I'm like, wow, you do all of those things. That's amazing. Okay, so tell me what the issue is again. Let's focus on why you came in. Well, maybe I'm not getting along with my teenager. Okay, perfect. Okay, well, let's talk about what kind of things did you do over here that helped you um, to be able to get along with this, say, this coworker better? Well, I was able to do this, that. Oh, so what would it take to bring it over here? So sometimes it's just having that objective lens to some, for somebody else to say, hold up. It's really not as, as um, dire as you think. You know, maybe you need to look at the whole picture versus kind of focusing in on the, and as human beings, because it's protective, we want to, we want to protect, right? We want to make sure we're okay and we're not going to repeat the pattern. But you're so right when you say, I often say it's like, um, I call it um, emotional gymnastics or mental gymnastics, yeah. right? Think about it, right? Uh, yeah. The more you do mm-hmm. it, the more you practice it then your, your, your bounce back is a little bit easier. Just like if you, you know, if you were going to go for a run and you haven't ran in a while, you're, you're going to start off slow. You're going to do it a bit at a time. And then eventually you, um, you know, you kind of go from there. Yeah. hundred percent. And so, it's interesting because our brain, we actually, we have a negativity bias. So our brain is wired that way because our brain actually, and part of the reason if we're not as happy as we think we are, is because our brain wasn't wired to make us happy. Mm-hmm. Our brain was wired for survival. So our brain wants us to eat and have shelter and reproduce and pass on our genes. That's what it's designed for. So if we want to be happy, we have to work to teach our brain that. So we have to rewire our brain because like, for example, if you've got 10 great compliments today and one person said a negative thing about you, when you go to bed at night, chances are, what's the one thing that's in your head? What happened there? Why, why, what did I do? Was it something about me? Was it not, you know, of course, you, you, you're so right. And it's a survivability, right? The, the brain and the body is constantly scanning. We know that from an anthropological perspective to kind of make sure that we're going to stay alive. I'm going yeah. to be okay. And when people start to recognize it and they learn, like you said, from, you know, what we know about neuroscience, which is such a blessing um, in the field. You know, when I started, say, 25 years ago, there was not much research that was vetted in psychology and now we have it which and health which is fantastic we couldn't show it before and now we can actually prove the things that we knew um, were already happening within relationships and those types of things so Jillian I know you are writing a book right correct okay so why don't we talk a little bit about that because I think from what I remember you saying briefly is that a lot of it's going to be based on on your uh, dissertation from your PhD is go so when do you um, do you have a working title when kind of is it supposed to be coming out I'm sure people are listening are probably excited to, to know about it 
Yeah. So I'm a, I'm my PhD. So I spent four years writing this, I don't know, it's like 600 pages or something. It was really yeah. long dissertation and, and the content is really great. And a lot of the research in it, it's really in, it could help a lot of people. And yet academic writing can be very dry and boring. And so I'm, I'm essentially kind of taking a lot of the research and the data from my PhD and sort of uh, changing it and making it interesting to read, making the languaging a bit more fun. And uh, then I'm going to do that. It's, I'm traditionally publishing my book. So uh, it's, it's a long road. So it'll probably be about two years or so before at the earliest that it'll see the light of day. Um, and the title is still, I'm waiting for it to evolve from what I'm doing. I'm waiting for that. You know how people, when they have a title, they're like, oh, it just came to me. I'm waiting for that moment. <laughs> so um, as I'm working, I'm kind of letting things percolate. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm excited for that um, to sort of learn the book process. And I'm just sort of at the beginning um, phase of that a little bit right now and uh, going through and doing the book proposal right now. So yeah. Awesome. awesome. So for people that are listening, so basically you speak, um, where could they get hold of you to be able to, um, you know, if they're wanting to reach out to you to consult to see if you're a fit uh, for their organization or things like that, where would you want them to reach out to you? Yeah, um, so I do, I do a lot of speaking, um, corporate speaking, as well as schools and at events, conferences, a whole bunch of different stuff. I also do some more sort of smaller group workshoppy um, or more, um, more uh, intimate settings as well. And anything, any information, if you have questions about anything or you want to learn more, my website is the best place to go. You can get a hold of me there through the contact page. You can read some of my um, talk descriptions and things like that. And that's all at jillianmandich.com. So it's G-I-L-L-I-A-N-M-A-N-D-I-C-H.com. Perfect. And that link will be at the bottom when we put out uh, the podcast, Jillian. So Great. I'm sure people will reach Thank out. You. So Jillian, thanks so much for spending the time. So again, what, we, what do we know about happiness? Remember, 40% is up to you. And, you know, that is such a refreshing um, piece of research to hear out loud. And that it's such a combination effect. There's no pill. Um, and uh, it's about you really spending the time um, and, and spending the time often enough, like, like Jillian says, not just once, you know, already kind of start to recognize, you know, that when you get that feeling in your body and it's so hard, like you said, like, you know, we know when we're happy and we know when we're not happy. So, you know, spend time and to Jillian's point, spend time and don't ruminate in it. And what I often say to people is sometimes set a timer on your phone or your microwave for say 10 minutes and feel pretty bad. And then come out of it and say, what can I learn from it? And when you're happy, just jot it down. What are the things that I did? What, were, oh. what was different about me? How was I thinking? How was I feeling? All those things that you have this, you know, awesome space within yourself to be able to go in and learn from. So, um, again, you know, exciting stuff, Dr. Happy, like we will call you from now on. Mm -hmm. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time. And for anyone uh, wanting uh, more information on me, you know, wow. I'm a mental health and wellness expert. Um, I speak in, and coach and I would love to connect with you. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.